afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Dean Hall and Alexia Russell with me this afternoon. Now, banks are making record profits in New Zealand. Collective profits for the banking sector were $7.18 billion for the year ended December. This comes amidst the cost of living uh, issue in New Zealand where many people are finding it hard to you know, cover the mortgage, rent, food, the basics. And looking to the US, Silicon Valley Bank's preferred bank for the tech sector has collapsed after customers began withdrawing their cash en masse, marking, making it the largest bank failure in the US since the global financial crisis. It was the 16th largest bank in the US with more than $200 billion. With us is Professor David Tripe from Massey University, a specialist in the area of banking. Professor Tripe, kia ora. Good afternoon. Well, already some texts uh, come in. Wallace, leave the banks alone. The profit's not abnormal when you consider the size of the enterprise, says one. So, look, the industry profit 17.3% higher than a year ago but that growth was smaller than the previous year. What do you think? A justified level of profit? Uh, you've got to look at it in, the, in a broader context. And probably, well, what we've seen over the last couple of years, well, back in, sorry, back in 2020, the banks put a lot of money aside for loan losses as the pandemic emerged. They, those loan losses um, didn't actually eventuate to the extent anticipated. So over the last couple of years, we've seen them doing some of those reversals. So the profits reported in the uh, 2022 year are not necessarily the sustainable level of profit based on the day-to-day business. Um, they've had no new... Things are looking particularly good in respect of bad loans and there's not been much of a write-off there. Um, whether that's going to be maintained is quite another matter because if we've got a recession coming, of course, we expect banks to have bad loans. Yes. Now, National, they want what they see as a short, sharp inquiry. Uh, I think the government said more of a marketing study at this stage. What What do you think, uh, David? Is an inquiry justifi- justified? And I guess it would also depend on what sort of yardsticks were selected to measure banks against. Well, that's that's very true. Um, the The concept of an inquiry can sound good, but it but if it's a short, sharp one, it's probably going to be a few of the usual suspects saying the usual things, and then everybody thinks it's wonderful they had an inquiry and nothing will change. So that's not necessarily a tremendously useful sort of inquiry. Um, I do have one or two concerns about bank profitability, but not because um, the bank profit levels overall are too high. I have some concerns that the small banks are finding it difficult um, to achieve adequate, the small banks in particular are finding it difficult to achieve adequate returns. And that means that there's, um, okay, they need, it's current, things are current, things are currently good enough for them and they are earning some reasonable returns. But if we look at return on equity for the last few quarters, um, this is for the banking sector as a whole. It's been around 13%. Now, there's many NZX companies that are earning a lot more than that in terms of their return on equity. 
Okay, fair enough point there. Uh, let's go to our panel. And just turn your head slightly, David, so we can just get a slightly clearer line. Uh, that might help. But Alexia, what's uh, what's your uh, a take on this My issue? You've been very in the news recently. David, I wonder, do you, do you think that in New Zealand when it comes to institutions that we use, banks, supermarkets, petrol stations, making profits, that there's an unreasonable expectation that they won't that they'll share some of that goodness with us and that we're somehow being ripped off, that there's this perception um, that, you know, there's a direct correlation between massive profits and us, our suffering. And is it fair? I think it would, I think it would be hard to argue that there was a big correlation between their profits and our suffering. Um, <laughs> there will be times when profits are significantly lower than they are now. Um, and if we go back through through history at times, profits have been significantly lower. Um, back in 2020, they were earning a lot less. Um, so to some extent, this is a recovery from that. Um, also, we want them to be, where they were unprofitable, we would be very worried about doing business with them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the point that's been made, hasn't it? And we'll come to uh, the overseas experience soon. What's your uh, thoughts on this, Dean? Uh, I know enough about economics. No, I don't know enough about economics. However, um, I, I I really like that point around like resilience. For me, it's more about resilience. If you don't have competition, um, and particularly when um, banks or airlines go a bit bust, someone buys them and you just get these big monopolies. And I think this is the danger the Americans walk into um, sort of blindly um, um, often. Um, um, that you get these big Molinos with giant names that sort of take over. So I really liked um, the professor's point around um, making sure that that we have a competitive landscape. Um, and some, you know, I think sometimes people look at a big number without any context around it, or saying, "Well, does a big number worry us, or is it more about you know competition? Um, is there competition, and, and if there isn't, right. why isn't there? Is it too hard for those smaller banks or smaller supermarkets and stuff like that?" Okay, we'll come to it. Let's come, let's let's explain more about the smaller banks. Let's talk about Kiwi Bank because you've got the big four, don't you? Uh, ANZ, ASB, BNZ, and Westpac making uh, a lot of money, uh, and then you have a Kiwi Bank. And there's been talk of whether or not we need to uh, beef up Kiwi Bank a bit. What's your thoughts? Well, Kiwi Bank is much is certainly less profitable than the big four, and the other smaller banks are less profitable than the big four as well. Now. The big difference seems to be in the area of costs. So what have, what's actually happening is that the banks collectively are spending a lot of money on regulatory compliance and on technology. And we're seeing technology in terms of the way we interact with the banks these days. Now, a big bank can spread that across a much broader base than the small banks can. Um, so what's happened? So what's therefore happening is that the big banks have an advantage of scale. If we went back 15 right. years, we would have been much harder to find that evidence. But what the changing technology and the costs of compliance have turned that equation around rather. Okay. Does the money from the big four still go to Australia? Like, is there what percentages are reinvested in New Zealand? Oh. Um, quite a lot has actually been been being reinvested in, in, in being being reinvested in New Zealand, um, and that's because there's a requirement that the Reserve Bank has implemented for banks to increase their their capital levels. So, 
most of what they're earning at the moment is in fact going is, is, is in fact being being reinvested. Um, there's a bit of um, so sometimes so sometimes what you see is that they pay a dividend and then there's promptly a reinvestment into a capital instrument in New Zealand. Um, other times, I mean, there is some net transfer out to, to Australia, um, but it's not. No, no, it isn't, certainly isn't at the scale of the amount of profits. All right. And just a quick response, uh, David, on uh, what's happening in the U.S. Uh, Silicon Valley banks prefer bank for the tech, sept- uh, tech sector. 16th largest bank in the U.S., $200 billion worth, um, has uh, collapsed. Uh, what of that? Any ramifications for us? Not obviously. Um, a major challenge with that, with that bank was that they were um, taking money, taking money from depositors. They didn't have loans to make, so they were then buying securities. Now, um, the experience of New Zealand banks has been that if you if you set to and buy securities and interest rates change, you make a profit or a loss. If interest rates rise, you make a loss. Um, and we had one or two New Zealand banks suffer in that way back. Um, 30 years ago. Yeah. Banks in New Zealand are now very attuned to the potential, that is a potential source of loss, and do a pretty good job of asset and liability management. So, for example, all the fixed rate loans that they do, they are protecting themselves from changes in interest rates in relation to those. Um, now, SVB in the US, they didn't have um, they didn't have protection against interest rate changes. Oh, got you. Got it, but they didn't choose to get it. Very good to have you on, David Kiora. That's Professor David Tripe there from Massey University, a specialist in the area of uh, banking. Quite a bit of a response regarding banks. We'll try and sneak in some from feedback. But a completely different topic here, 18 past four. A consumer in dead study has found several common processed foods contain potentially dangerously high levels of sodium. Here's an example. Tomatoes per 100 grams. Fresh tomatoes contained 2 milligrams of sodium. What is tomato sauce? 930 grams of sodium. Dalmain sun-dried tomatoes, 1,740 grams of sodium per 100 grams. Why it's an issue? Because the diet high in sodium increases the risk of blood pressure. And that is a big cause of stroke. And stroke is the second biggest killer in New Zealand. And yet here we have... Food soaked in salt. Julia Rout is the health promotion manager at the Stroke Foundation NZ. Kia ora, Julia. Kia ora. It's, it's a bit of a minefield when you go to the supermarket, isn't it, I guess? You know, um, do levels have to be so high? Well, salt does have a functional role in food, but actually when you look at similar products across the category, you can find, we often find that the salt content can vary considerably, showing that um, obviously some don't need to be that high. What's your thoughts on this, uh, Dean Hall? Uh, well, I cook a lot of my own foods, yeah. um, and um, but that's the thing. I'm, I'm wealthy enough that uh, I, I just buy fresh food, um, and I suppose that's – I really wish we could figure that out. How do we get people so that they can buy fresh food and, and have the time and availability to cook and the, the skills necessary? So, um, you know, and it just breaks my heart, I think. You know, you, you read some of the back of the labels of 
you know, tomato sauce is an easy target. And, and I wonder yeah, then, just one of many. Yeah. Are they, are they, is it being used as, you know, for taste and or preservative quantity, qualities? Yeah, I mean, salt is a great preservative, and it, you know, you look at the the alternative: do you use artificial preservative or do you use salt? So, you know, everyone's wanting us to get back to natural foods, but we do consume. We have to sort of consume a measure of processed foods, and is he going to make all yeah. your tomato sauce from scratch? Yeah. Well, what is the what's the daily recommended salt intake, Julia? So the recommendation is about a teaspoon of salt a day and on average New Zealanders are eating about twice that at the moment and most of that does come hidden in Mm. in packaged foods that people have no idea um, of the levels that are actually in there. And our taste buds get accustomed to it as well Mm. and what we've actually found that is that you can gradually increase it in food products over time and people just don't notice. So... There's huge potential there. I think we just need more in the industry to step up to reduce the amount of salt in their products. And I guess the number of this is why, because this is a sort of a co-joint with the Consumer NZ, this presents challenges to those who have health issues, particularly high blood pressure, and there'd be many in the country with high blood pressure. Yes, um, it affects about one in five New Zealanders. Right. And, you know, while high salt diets are a risk for people with high blood pressure at present, it's also a risk for people that don't have high blood pressure now because exposed to that level of salt over time, those people will end up with high blood pressure too. It's sugar too, though, isn't it? I mean, exactly the same problem, disguised in these very processed foods. Yes, yes, correct, yeah. So, I mean, salt is just one aspect of the food supply that we need to do something about. Yes, sugar, yes, fat, and if we gradually reduce it, as I said, over time, it you know makes the products that people are buying already better for them, and it's so much easier for them to have a healthier diet. Have other countries introduced salt reduction targets? Yeah, um, so some countries have set mandatory targets. Um, in New Zealand, we operate a bit of a voluntary system, and that has had some um, benefits to a certain extent, but we're calling on the government to set mandatory targets. And part of it's around creating a level playing field. There are industries out there or companies out there that are doing fantastic work, but that's not happening across the board, and we need everyone to step up. Oh, just a correction here. I said... 930 grams per 100 grams. I'm at 9.3 per 100 grams. Now, so you're calling for a health star, as I understand it, to be mandatory. Yeah. Well, the only way currently for people to know that the, um, there's a, a great level of salt in their food is to actually check the nutrition information panel, which is a tiny little mm. panel on the back. Who does that? Um, exactly. I use <laughs> apps for it. Um so yes, I use like yes. uh, you know little, you can get a Do bunch you? of food tracking apps. You got to watch because you can get a bit obsessed about it. But um, if you scan the bar po- barcode, it can wow. tell you the the stuff. But then I, I found actually it was just better if I didn't do that and obsess about it. And I actually just bought fresh food, and then I know exactly how much salt I'm putting on it. And um, but how do we get people buying fresh food? It's so well, expensive. Uh, how, what do you think about a health star? If you you walk along the supermarket and say you've got what would it look like? It'd be it'd be like three stars, and you've got three stars. Green would be the best. Would that sort of help you, Alexia? Yeah, you I, think, I think. No, I think so. I think you know if you're tossing up between. I mean, my bottom line these days is price. To be honest, mm, it's um, all price. Yeah, but maybe if there were two that similar prices, I'd go for the healthier one. And we've got to talk about that, Julia, because that really is the bread and butter year. Price is really foundational, very important. Yep. 
A hundred percent. And, you know, yes, we need to make the healthier, fresher options more affordable for people. But while people are still buying the processed foods, we need to make them Mm. better for people and more transparent about how much um, salt, fat and sugar is in those foods in the first place. Interesting. I'd be very interested to know whether or not you support some sort of a simple health star rating. That's uh, Julia Rout there, health promotion manager at the Stroke Foundation New Zealand, talking about uh, a new study found that many processed foods contain potentially dangerously high levels of sodium. When you talk about fresh food, I'm interested, Dean, do you mean that's all you buy? Uh, not all I buy. I, I look for little uh, tricks. So uh, I have great recipe that I've I've sort of worked on for over time for making my own pizza bases and my own tortillas. I make my own wraps. I call them because my nickname's yeah. Rocket Rocket Wraps. <laughs> well, hang on, <laughs> let me just. It's not might be personal, but you don't you don't treat yourself to a bucket of KFC every now and then. I tried, but I'm um, talking how how the the um, the talent was saying about when I have a mm. lot of salt on chips, I get ulcers now in my mouth. Um, I get like ulcers. There's too much salt in my mouth. So your, 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 body, your body's that wired to non-salt. Isn't this well, I use salt, but I put it in. Like I put like a dash of salt in with the the, the pizza dough just to help it sort of rise a bit slower. <laughs> Take my pizza dough very seriously. Just do you say. not work? I, I do, but I, I actually I had a I, I went to an industrial psychologist. And they reckon I, I the reason I like cooking is because it's control, right? You've got control. It's something you can. It's a task that is oh completely gosh. within your control during the day. It's in my control to ring up my son and say, "Please cook dinner tonight. Have it on the table by the time I get off the bus at six thirty. Or please order that pad thai <laughs> <laughs> with extra cashews. But you got to have time. You got to be able to afford. It's really expensive to yeah. buy fresh produce. You know. It is. 25 past four, the panel, Dean Hall, uh, food processor extraordinaire, uh, and Alexi Russell. Now to this. I thought I'd raise this. The changing way we communicate. One Jake sent out a tweet yesterday, and here's the tweet. If your voicemail greeting asks callers to not leave a message but send a text, you are a lazy, entitled S-H-I-T. I said what I said, unquote. He was roasted for it. He was excoriated. He was hung up to dry so much he pulled it. And I'm keen to know, do you not listen to voicemails? It seems to be a trend. Well, we managed to track him down. I left several voicemails uh, on his <laughs> phone, and uh, he didn't get back to me, but he left me a voice text with us. This is Jake Morrison. Kia ora, Jake. G'day, Wallace. Uh, that was a great intro, thank you. <laughs> All true, not made up. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, firstly, were you surprised at the reaction you got? Uh, I was. Um, I guess it was uh, a bit of a yeah no it was a shock I think sort of you know regular people who are not who don't have a profile you know it's pretty rare that you get something that sort of you know goes viral so to speak went off it, Jake you know something funny yeah it's great and and but then when I when I saw that you'd gotten in touch and were were mentioning that I just was filled with dread and I didn't want to look at the Twitter and when I did it was an absolute burning trash fire of (laughs) anger and abuse and ridicule Mm. and um, you bloody Gen X and this... And worse. Justified? Justified? Were you Um, wrong? 
Oh, no, well, look, here's the, here's the thing. It was a very specific, uh, and this is what happens. I got, uh, you know, don't text and drive. Don't tweet when you're pissed off. So I basically, I'd, I'd call the guy in the morning, so a professional service provider on his, you know, on his work phone, and he said something like, you know, if you want to hear back from me, don't leave a message, just send me a text. And the kind of, uh, that wasn't the exact wording, but the feeling, the impression it gave was, you know, if you want my service, I'm going to make you take an extra step to make life easier for me. You know, and I, I'm driving, I'm not going to like, pull over and send him a text or whatever. So anyway, I was irritated, I sent the text, carried on with my day. But, you know, like I said, that's n- never, t- never tweet and, and, and be annoyed. So, And then um, you looked at Twitter, let's, yeah. go, let's go around the panel on this. They might have thoughts yeah. on uh, this particular yeah. issue, Jake. And again, thanks for picking up the phone, Alexia. Well, I actually had quite a good accidental scheme about this because my mobile phone used to go through to our home phone number where it would be answered and dealt with. And then we got rid of our home line. And I didn't realise that for ages my phone was just saying, this number does not exist. Goodbye. And I thought, when I found out that that's what was happening, people were saying, since your phone number doesn't exist, but I know your phone exists. I thought, great. This will stop the scam callers. And all my friends who know my phone exists will just ring back. <laughs> um, sadly, I got it fixed. And yes, it does say, please text me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Stay there, Jake. Dean, what do you think of this? Well, I want to submit as an example my phone here. I have 82,000 unread emails. I've had three missed calls while the panel's been going on, and I have 375 unread text messages. You see this here? So I'm, I'm handing it. I'm, I'm submitting it here. So so I actually have a tip for people. 82,000 unread right. emails. So so to avoid the scam callers and stuff like that, what I do is I actually, um, my voicemail message is completely blank. And what that means is you, you get to hear the call centre afterwards while they're waiting for you to listen so you know exactly which numbers to block. Little tip. For, for those. This is, Probably this, make Jake a bit upset this there. This is but. the real abrogation of your responsibility as a professional and also as a person to have oh, I think it's unre- email that's spot. Really, it's uh, email that's really spot. my fault else. the technology's way out of control. Mm. Anyway, to the, to the, Jake, to the point there. So I talked to my wonderful producer, Ayana, said, look, this, this is the new way. It's the new trend. Mm. No one listens, not one person listened to this this afternoon on the panel will listen to their voicemails. Yeah, and um, I think, yeah, I think um, it's a it's a real it's a tricky one because I, I just want to go and just back to say that you know there were a lot of comments. I mean, aside from you know the anger and fury and whatnot, there were some really legitimate comments from people. Like, who has time to listen? Uh, listening to voice messages costs money, um, and that's not something you know that it, not everyone has that plan. It causes anxiety, people with hearing loss. So there's all these other things that, you know, were not being considered in my kind of brief rant about a specific circumstance. And so obviously, you know, feeling like a massive pile of flaming garbage. But people got fired up, so it was clearly something that people care about. Um, I, I kind of feel like it's something that's no longer, it's a service that's no longer fit for purpose. So, yeah. you know, it's God. like watching a movie on Sky, you know, we're accustomed to Netflix. We want what we want, and we want it now. And... <laughs> You know, we can't get rid of we can't get rid of voicemail because you know it, it's still like the legacy system, but no one wants to use it. So yeah, so, what do we? So okay, we need a transcription two, service, don't two, we? Yeah, two one zero one. Who listens to voicemails around the panel? Do you listen to your voicemail? No, but my husband does because he runs a business, right? So he collects his voicemails. He's going deaf. He can't hear the number, but he's got this crappy old phone. It won't let him replay it. So 
that's a nightmare. It would be great if we could have a transcription service. I won't ask you because you don't even read emails. I don't emails. even read my emails. I'm, I'm actually quite shocked but at I that. Thought I've Jake, got to take a screen grab. Jake's, Jake's point, is, I think, is correct, which is it's, just, it's more it's not fit for purpose. It's too difficult to listen to your voice messages. And it costs gives money. Heaps, costs money. Yeah. It gives you heaps of anxiety. Big response here. Wade says, tradespeople are often working and also receive a lot of inquiries. Texts help them triage and prioritize their mm. time. Hey, Jake, um, thanks for being a good sport, and thank mm. you very much for picking up the phone for us. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> good on you. That's Jake Morrison there.